The world around us is changing very, very fast. There's an evolution of AI. Of course, we all know that AI is still in evolution stage. We are not there yet, but we are far ahead from where we were 50 years ago. And we don't know what's waiting for us in next 10 or 20 years. And then we need to govern AI. We have the challenge of fractured landscape of laws in the US. We have the challenge of EU trying to regulate AI. We have the challenge of China trying to go ahead with AI without regulation and so on and so forth. And in this world, which is volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous, how do you navigate? How do you govern? Who plays what role? For all this and more, we have none other than Dr. Carrie Miller, who's going to have a fascinating conversation with me on these topics, that is, what's happening in the world? How do we govern it? Who has to play what role? How do we guide organizations? And how can we make a change that is more inclusive and more relevant? Let's go and talk to Dr. Carrie Miller. Hello, and welcome to the Fit for Privacy podcast with Punit Bhatia. This is the podcast for those who care about their privacy. Here, your host, Punit Bhatia, has conversations with industry leaders about their perspectives, ideas, and opinions relating to privacy, data protection, and related matters. Be aware that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not legal advice. Let us get started. So here we are. Welcome, Carrie, to the show. Yes, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And with all the knowledge that you have, I can ask you to maybe take a forward looking view and tell me what's happening in the privacy tech section or privacy tech area. Where are we headed? What's going on? I love that you think we're allowed to talk about something other than generative AI. This is fascinating <laughs> to me. <laughs> I can only think of generative AI. Um, and so the intersection of privacy and generative AI is where my brain immediately goes right now because it is such a dominating uh, topic in the world right now. Um, so my area of focus is workplace tech mm -hmm. and ed tech. And uh, oddly, those two things overlap a lot more often than you would think. But no. generative AI in those spaces are hotly contested issues. And privacy is a major issue for them. Um, some companies understand why that is, and other companies do not understand why that is. Um, and so if you take the case of Samsung that shut everything down because their coders uploaded proprietary code, they clearly understand why privacy is an issue when it comes to generative AI. You, you know, generative AI will just suck up your data, whatever you feed to it. Um, and so that really is what's happening in privacy and tech right now is those types of issues and just general awareness and a lack of legislative action on that front. Uh, Indeed. And I think that's the scary part because we are on an evolution in terms of AI and technology. Mm -hmm. We are not there with generative AI fully, but we are on the say verge of it from where we are. That seems realistic. And it's going to be really, really, really challenging if that comes through without any control. Yes, a few years ago, we used to think the scenarios like Matrix are fiction. But if that comes through, they are not fiction. And the worrying part is 
if the generative AI comes through, just like we use ChatGPT, someone can say, hey, I want Dr. Carrie Miller's this and this. Can you find me the passwords? And who knows if it can or cannot? Because it's going to learn by itself and it's not going to be owning things or deciding things based on rules. And that's where the scare is. That's where the worry is. But uh, we don't know yet. No, we don't. And as much as the the companies don't, um, you know, some are on the earlier end and, and, you know, tech companies are more aware. Others aren't. Legislators are also, they run that in exact spectrum. Some legislators are, are well aware of these dangers and other legislators aren't. And they're just, you know, that's not their forte. And so to get legislation in place is, it's a long road. Absolutely. It is a long road. And I think while we do all agree that it impacts privacy in many ways, uh, some realistic and some unrealistic and some fictional and some non-fictional, the challenge amplifies itself because in the EU, okay, like it or not, we have a law, we have a regulation which spans across all the EU member states. But when we come to the US, it's a fractured landscape. I'm sorry to use that word, but what we have is sector-based laws. We have the state-based laws and now more and more states are coming up. And if you want to do business and if you want to do AI and the, for the AI, there is the framework. It's not a law yet. So it creates different kinds of challenges. And I don't know what's your view on how would someone, someone when I say a, a startup or a large organization, navigate this uh, challenging fractured framework or landscape of laws? Yeah, it, it really is starting to feel impossible. Before we got on, I'm like, I, I knew that this question was going to come up. So I kind of cheated a little bit and I went and looked because I knew there were two states recently that just added to the fray. And there are a little over a dozen states now that have their own independent um, privacy laws. And they're all just enough different that I honestly don't know how small businesses are keeping up with this. Well, they aren't, frankly. They're not yeah. keeping up with it. They're just winging it. Um, and so I think what happens is they just find the most strict one and they kind of just have, try to abide by that one um, and not very well. Um, on the vendor side, I think it's much the same. They probably try to find the strictest one and abide by that um, and probably not very well because some of it's difficult to be erased from a system when it's machine learning, come on, how do you even do that? Yeah. Once you're in the <laughs> in the black box, you're going to really go in there and erase that stuff? I, you can't, some of that's not even possible. So I, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's very difficult. I think there's one winner in a fractured landscape and that would be a company like OneTrust, <laughs> yeah. you know? Otherwise the rest of us are just trying to gasp for air and understand yeah. every day, yeah. But there also one trust is helping companies comply rather than comply themselves. So that's yeah. a little bit of the different <laughs> ball game they are playing. Yep. yep. So it's a, it's a very, very, very different environment we are in. And we don't know how to get in, how to manage it. But uh, it, it, it's a nightmare. And if you want to be, what do you say, scaring people, it's a very good time. The generative AI, the robotics and the chat GPT 
uh, I, I wanted to crack a joke when you said I did some cheating. I was like, did you ask ChatGPT or did you prepare by yourself? <laughs> I did by myself, yeah. <laughs> I should have asked ChatGPT, yeah. <laughs> because I was preparing for a video or, or, or a conference and I uh, prepared. And then I said, well, let me ask ChatGPT, what does it have to say? And I went fully aggressive and I said, I want to create a video on this topic. Can you give me a script for this video? And thankfully, there was a good answer saying, this is violation of intellectual property rights. I can't give you the script, but I can give you the topics to do. And guess what I do? I take topic by topic and ask that as next five questions. Oh. And it gives me answers. There you go. And then I have my script. That's a good use of that. But of course, I'm going to make a joke on uh, the conference <laughs> saying, first I'll give my view and then I say, it's the days of chat GPT. So I ask the same question to chat GPT. These are the answers. Here I agree, here I disagree. Then that's the overall view. And that's the world we are living in. But uh, that's for you and me who are uh, privacy AI experts who know the stuff, who understand the risks. And we play on the fine line. I mean, from a personal and professional perspective, professionally, we are not seeking privacy because we want to be known. Personally, we want to seek privacy. But how does a company govern privacy or AI in this setup? Because I was reading uh, your uh, blogs and articles, and you also talk about procurement playing a role. Can we talk a bit about it? Because normally we say the governance is about setting up the steering, setting up the program, setting up. But you talk about govern uh, governing the procurement role. What's your view on that? Can you elaborate a bit? Yeah, so I, um, I'm the vice chair on an IEEE working group um, for AI procurement. And so we are methodically going through establishing what AI procurement should look like. So basically what we're saying is you, you already have a procurement process. Most companies have procurement processes. We're not saying throw that baby out with the bathwater, but when you buy AI, there's different things that you need to pay attention to. And, and there's nothing in here that's like, oh gosh, that's so surprising. I can't believe you would say that. It's everything that you would think. Have a legitimate business uh, case. You know, don't let the vendor come and say, here's a shiny bobble. You really need this. And you, you know, fear of missing out would compel you to buy it without a legitimate business case. So, so that's kind of step one, you know, a very obvious step one. But then as you go through the procurement process, you should be interrogating with the right types of questions because these are, we're focused on socio-technical systems, systems that um, would produce critical decisions, decisions that impact humans. Um, so a decision that might decide how much welfare someone gets, whether or not someone gets housing, um, whether or not someone gets a utility service. Um, and so you have to ask hard questions. Where did that source data come from? Was it fit for this purpose? Did you test it in these ways? What are your governance um, practices, dear vendors? Um, what models did you use? Were they transparent? Explain those to me. How do you explain those to the end user? You know, so these are questions that you don't ask if you're buying a regular ERP system that's going to track uh, accounts payable and accounts receivable. You don't need to ask those questions for those types of systems. But in a socio-technical AI system, that's a different ballgame. So in the absence of regulation that's going to require vendors to use appropriate data to make sure that it's fit for purpose and that it was 
retrieved in a consensual way and all of those things that you want ethically. In the absence of that legislation, you have one governance tool that any company can use, and that is procurement. So if you lock in, yeah. It's what we used to tell children or our parents told us, don't run after the shiny object syndrome. That is, there's the shiny object and I'm chasing it. It doesn't work. And that's what we often say uh, to our partners saying, okay, here's a sale. Let's go out and look out in the market. No, decide what you want to buy, then go out, shop, and then you're finding for what you need rather than what's available in the market because they want to sell you everything. That's their job. It's your role to decide on what you want to buy. And that's the hard thing. And that's the more relevant aspect when it's in the AI world. Because everyone is coming up, I've had this fancy AI thing. And some of them are converting their 30-year-old products into AI thing. And selling it as if it's brand new, shiny thing. But it isn't. It ain't. And now, if that's the world we are living in, of course, we will take care of the procurement aspect. But what else do you expect or advise in terms of AI and privacy governance to organizations? What do you suggest or what's going on with your clients? What else? I'm sorry, say that again. So when you are advising organizations, you mentioned that you talk about procurement playing a vital role, but that's one step of many. So what are the other steps you are recommending in governing AI and privacy? Start at the beginning. And to me, the beginning is you have to know what AI you even have in your walls. So to me, that is an audit of all of your AI systems. So go out, gather it all up, ask, search in every corner of your business to find out where is all of your AI, because chances are there's shadow IT lurking out there that people have adopted little, you know, I would start in the marketing department because (laughs) there are a lot of tools in marketing that people have like, Oh, you know, this works. I can use this for these little things. There's a, there's just a lot of um, AI in marketing in general. And you want to put all of that in one place. You want to gather up, not just what it is, but the privacy policy for it and the terms of use and, you get that locked into one start with a spreadsheet it doesn't even have to be a a massive system where you're you know there are massive systems that people offer credo ai you know they offer a full tracking system put it on a spreadsheet first but the most important thing to me is once you get it all gathered up read the privacy policies and read the terms of use because that will tell you where your exposures are and once you know where your exposures are then you have to go back to your policies and adjust them, tighten them up, decide, you know, we didn't really like that part, or I think we're okay with this. We're going to, we're going to tell people we're okay with this. You can use this this way. Don't use it this way and, and write it down. So people understand. So you have your guardrails in place, but do the, do the inventory of your AI first, inform yourself that will, that will help you understand how to adjust your policies or create policies. If you don't have any policies, it'll, (laughs) once you read those privacy statements and the, and the terms of use, you will all of a sudden realize we need policies on this stuff. It'll become really clear. So those are just the first couple of steps. You don't even need a committee, you know, a formal committee. You could have a task force do that. It'll all unfold. Believe me, once you do that audit. 
I agree with you. I think it's the same thing we say when we when GDPR came into effect, CCPA came into effect. The first thing we told them was go around the departments, ask them what data is being processed, what is being done with that data, who is owning that data. So, I mean, technically we call that Article 30 records of processing activity in GDPR, but I used to call it data inventory. And more and more I call with startups saying, know your data know what data you have what you're doing and here you're talking about know your systems which ones of them are ai and then do a due diligence and that's the same thing we did with the vendors also when we were doing the data privacy we said which vendors you have who are processing personal data which ones are processing sensitive data make a list of contracts review their contracts and then tighten them up so it's essentially the same thing even in ai but uh, with a different perspective and a different uh, angle and another thing you talk about is uh, inclusive change management. Yeah. And that's also is, very relevant. So I'd like you to uh, touch upon it as well. It is. And that happens really in the procurement process. Um, when you are defining your use case, when you say, it seems like we have an issue here, maybe AI is an appropriate solution you really should have multiple stakeholders. There's no individual in a company ever that could emphatically say, oh, I've got the use case, I've got the solution, this is good. I mean, people do that, <laughs> I've met them. <laughs> um, I quickly move away from them. But when you bring in multiple stakeholders, and, and I'm not talking about stakeholders being the chief technology officer, the data officer, and the lawyer, those are lovely people to have in the room. I'm talking about the actual users and representative users um, and maybe even the people impacted by the outcomes of whatever decisions are coming out of those systems. And, and they should be representative, representative in race and gender and socioeconomic background, uh, age, because they will give you different perspectives. And especially with respect to how they want their data to be used or how they feel like the decision will impact them or could go off the rails. That's the part where people miss it all the time. If, if you don't, if your definition of multi-stakeholder is the usual suspects that are on a project team, which tends to be the technical people and the project manager and maybe a, a program manager or product person, you're not going to get a full picture of, of how that thing could could maybe have a different impact down the road. Absolutely. And you know, frankly, when you talk about AI and you talk about data, if your pipeline data, the data that feeds back into the system comes off the rails, you have a problem on your hands. So you really do want to address that up front, um, which happens, you know, just before, during pro procurement. I'm fully with you. I think uh, it's all about having varying skills and stakeholders on the table and bringing in different viewpoints. Because if you bring in the business guy and the procurement guy and the marketing guy, of course they will say, let's go. Yes. The fun starts when you bring the legal guy, the privacy guy, yep, and all the non-popular people, let me put it like that, yep. whom you do <laughs> not want on the table, and one consultant who says it depends, <laughs> right. so, yeah. so that's when your real decision making starts and also put in the financial guy because that guy has to give you the money that's right so if you put all those people on the table 
and maybe uh, if you have the bandwidth and if you are a large corporate also bring in the ethics committee or ethics committee uh, person or the audit person and then uh, you're having a real conversation yeah. yes it slows down the decision making but yeah. it creates the real conversation and you're avoiding a lot of questions in the long run That's a lot right. of disappointment is avoided in the long run yeah yeah prior planning as they say absolutely prior planning inclusive change management waiting skills and in this world of what we call ever changing technology ever a fast needs of business to get things done and then the laws lagging the technology how do you contribute in all this world how do you help companies address this um having these types of conversations and hoping other people hear them and posting where i can post where it's not um my echo chamber of people like just you and me that i try to do library programs in my local community and and make sure that when I'm talking in those types of programs, I'm not using words like deterministic and probabilistic systems and <laughs> I'm talking about, <laughs> you know, in regular language that people understand and how, yeah. you know, Netflix does things and why you stick on social media for six hours at a time. And, you know, I, I try to reach beyond our scholarly community into the rest of the world. Yeah. yeah and I think that's very fairly said because there was some of the popular language with uh, us as privacy professionals or AI pro professionals is well, we will evaluate the necessity and proportionality of it and help you with a responsible AI and privacy solution. Yeah, that's a lot and of the rest of the business is like, what does that mean? Right. But us, it's absolutely clear. And then if they ask a question, so we will evaluate and find out the legitimate basis for processing of this. And then they say, okay, there's no way we are going to get anything out of it. Let's get a yes, if possible. That's right. I um I have an, an aunt. I actually, my, my master's degree is in marketing, and I have an aunt who is a marketer. And she told me, Carrie, you have to put it in one-syllable words. If you can't say it in one-syllable words, then don't say it. I'm like, Ooh, yeah. that's hard. It's really hard to do, but that's, that's what actually works. Indeed, and I think... Uh, you need to balance out yep. for the legal and the privacy. I mean, if I'm in a room with legal privacy board member and everybody for the legal and privacy, I do have to use these words, but then at the same time for the board member, I have to simplify it and say, by the way, I use this jargon of this and the standard contractual clauses and the adequacy, but this means this. So we are going to do this. We are going to take care of it, but by lo the law requires us to use these. That's why I'm using this term to help these two people legal and privacy colleagues but that's the fun part of it in this job so uh, we all or we both have a very exciting job and sometimes people want to get in touch with us so if someone wants to get in touch with you what are the scenarios in which they can get in touch with you and how can they get in touch with you i usually find um linkedin to be the best way to to catch me. I'm on there all the time. I, I use LinkedIn to stay abreast of what's going on mm -hmm. all the time. So um, I'm, I'm worse at email. I don't know why. I think because my inbox just gets so there's just I don't know what's going on with my inbox, but LinkedIn seems to be good. So yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. It's Carrie dash Miller. Um, so LinkedIn slash Carrie dash Miller. 
um, yeah, that's where I am. Good. So it's been a wonderful conversation with you, very uh, heart to heart, very open, uh, very spontaneous. And I thank you for that and very much appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, feel free to share it with a friend and write a review. If you have already done so, thank you so much. And if you did not like the show, don't bother and forget about it. Take care and stay safe. Fit for Privacy helps you to create a culture of privacy and manage risks by creating, defining, and implementing a privacy strategy that includes delivering scenario-based training for your staff. We also help those who are looking to get certified in CIPPE, CIPM, and CIPT through on-demand courses that help you prepare and practice for certification exam. Want to know more? Visit www fitforprivacy.com. That's www.fit4privacy.com. If you have questions or suggestions, drop an email at hello at fitforprivacy.com. Until next time, goodbye.